Um, we're doing friends and family, as Philip has said, and uh, we're talking about community, how to be community together. And some of our life groups this term are all about around the table. And I was really thinking about that and just thinking, oh, I'd like to talk a bit about around the table, look at that. So I started like kind of looking around. And um, there's this guy in America called John Mark Comer, who was at Encounter More, I think last year, he's from Oregon. And I came across a talk that he had done, and it was basically called Around the Table, and it was absolutely brilliant. So I thought, what's the point in trying to reinvent the wheel? So I'm confessing right here up front that most of this is John Mark Comer's talk, and I've plagiarized it. But uh, th there's so many good things. And just as I've been thinking about this, like things have been coming into my head over my Christian journey, where conversations have happened around a table or... Like, I was just thinking earlier, loads of my early discipleship was in Kathy and Terry's living room, <laughs> sitting around and just chatting and chatting about God and chatting about youth group and chatting about church. So, so much of our discipleship isn't just what we do here on a Sunday. It's around the table. It's in the living room. It's in company. It's just having conversation. So I really want to talk about this this morning. And so does John Mark Comer. Okay, so Steph is going to come and read because we're looking at scripture and it's John chapter 13, verse 1 to 17. So Steph's going to read it for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Jesus, or no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you so much, Steph. So that was the Passover festival. And we see in this passage, Jesus loved the disciples to the end. And he shifted in his role. He was the host, the host of the meal, but then he became the servant. And he's setting an example for us. He's saying, you should do as I have done for you, and you will be blessed if you do this. And essentially, this is a story about hospitality. He's eating and drinking with his apprentices, and then he's meeting their practical need. In those days, the roads were 
dirty and dusty. Their feet were really dirty and he's washing their feet. He's meeting a practical need and then he's saying, do as I did for you. And this carries on um, throughout the New Testament, this theme. A few, a few weeks later, Acts 2, it's the same group of people. Many of us might know this. It's called a fellowship of the believers. It's basically a description of the early church. And we see there's something repeated here in verse 42. They devoted them to themselves to a few things and one of the main things was community life around the table and breaking of bread was a big part of it every day they met together and ate together in their homes it says with glad and sincere hearts it's a summary of what the original church was about and the practice of eating together is repeated three times in this little passage verse 42 it says it and then twice in verse 46 they broke bread in their homes they ate together and when God wants to tell us something and emphasize a point, he often repeats it. And it's really just driving the point home that eating together was core to the original church. And then it carries on again throughout the New Testament. Philippi, or sorry, Romans 3, 3 to 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. The church that meets at their house. And this one's for free. They were women. Colossians 4.15 Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. Philemon 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So Jesus of Nazareth, the early church in Acts, right through to Paul, Jesus' followers, followers are meeting together, they're eating and drinking in homes around a table as family. And that's how the church spread from just those few people with Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem, throughout the Roman Empire, to a global movement of two plus billion followers today. That's incredible. Now the next bit, some of you will like the historians or architects amongst us, and I just thought this was really fascinating. Um, as you think about different stages of church history where people met, we're just talked about it, they met in the home. It wasn't an option to buy yourself a church building when your faith was against the law. And the centre of the church was around the table. And despite it being against the law, the gospel spread and the church grew. And then in the fourth century, the way of Jesus was legalised and the church started building cathedrals. So, for example, Notre Dame, which we've seen in the news recently, and Westminster Abbey, which is built in the shape of a cross. And the meal around the table evolved into a drink of wine and a bit of bread. At that time, Mass was said in Latin and things were very mystical. And then it evolved again to stage three, um, which happened in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation, a return to the teaching of the Bible, but it was obviously before printing presses and podcasts. So if you wanted to hear the Bible in your own language, you would go to church and hear the preacher preach from the word. So the center of gravity shifts from the altar in the middle to the high up pulpit. 
And then in the middle of the last century, we have the rise of entertainment culture, radio, TV, film, more people in cities, all of that. And music once again started to play a much larger role in the church. What we have today, our emphasis on worship by singing, it probably started out with an organ and a choir. It was more theater style, if you think of um, big churches with organs, the music projecting out and preaching as well. But the center of gravity shifted from pulpit to stage. And even churches that we think of today, um, like, well, this church is a school, but we still kind of have a stage. You think of warehouse-style churches, you know, we think, oh, they're the modern one, but it's still the same emphasis. It might be a bit bigger, but it still has rows, face in the front and a stage, and we emphasize music and preaching. So as you see along the history, things have changed, and things about the modern church that we just presume, oh, it's always been that way or that's normal, it wasn't always that way. So the original architecture of the church was a Bible in a home and a table and around the table. And it's just made me think, you know, what is the heart of the church and the core of the church? And it's something for us all to think about and consider. And we think about how Jesus related to people. You know, the word, we call ourselves Christian now, but the word Christian is actually only used three times in the New Testament. Jesus referred to his apprentices and his brothers. The word disciple or apprentice is used 268 times. And the word brother is used 350 times. And in Mark 3.35, it says, whoever does the will of God is my brother. And he also talks about, you know, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a meal. It's being together. So what we call church is apprentices of Jesus who live as family. And they would have had a weekly gathering on a Sunday night, which was a meal. And the meal wasn't, oh, let's have that after our service. The meal was the main event. And when you come together to eat, it was called a love feast, agape feast. And also at that time, there would have been particular care shown to those who didn't have enough food, the poor, the lowly. So that was social justice before we ever had a welfare state. And there's a real simplicity about it, isn't there? Just praying together, eating together, singing, just being around the table. And if we think of those words, um, communion, community, companion, you know, central to being a disciple of Jesus at that time was eating and drinking with other apprentices of Jesus. And maybe we've lost that somewhere along the way. And um, maybe that's been lost over the years. And maybe that's something we need to recapture. We've lost sight of a simple practice. These words all come from a same Latin word, meaning together and bread. And it means to catalyze community, to take friendship and turn it into family. And that's what we're really thinking about in this season, friends and family. And we do want it to be, oh, let's just do this wee series in friends and family, and then next term we'll do something else. Yes, we might emphasize other things in our teaching, but we always want this to be at the heart of our church. And we want to, you know, we want to hear your stories. We want to hear your ideas. We want to hear what this looks like in your life. Um, an untabled faith is an unstable faith. A neglect of the table in our churches is echoed in our families and communities. And this is just a little aside, but I just wanted to highlight 
um, the Care for the Family, they set up the kitchen table project. And they were doing that because they were asking the question, what influences our children to develop their own personal faith? And did you know that by age 19, that's the age that most Christians come to faith? And we just absolutely love what God is doing with our children in this church. We love our kids' ministry. Jillian, our kids' pastor, is incredible. And the team are wonderful in equipping our kids. But did you know that it's not their job to do that? You know, we ran a Raising Faith course to help us as parents help our kids find a faith that lasts. Because a child spends more time at home than anywhere else. A child att attending church one hour a week would need to attend for 421 years to equ equate the same amount of time they're going to spend with a parent before the age of 10. So I just want to encourage parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, foster carers, all of that. Faith happens in family and faith happens around the table. It's not just Sunday morning or sold on a Sunday night or whatever or life kids. Faith happens in family. And as we as parents make faith a daily part of our lives, our kids will pick up on that. And another kind of wee memory was coming to me when I was thinking about this stuff. I just remembered kind of more a few years ago in the early days of our church when our kids were younger. It would have felt maybe a wee bit more like that. We would just sit around our table and um, maybe on a Sunday after church have bacon baps with Phil and Hannah who were here and Steve and Elaine and the kids who are now leading worship and all that. And, you know, our kids were there and playing with their toys. But it was just, you would chat about God, you would chat about church, you would chat about what was happening in your life. And the kids were in and out and part of that. And it was special time. And something special happens when we gather around our table with our families and our kids and just talk about God and talk about what he's doing in our lives. And we can see this is reflected in society. And sorry for the bad newspaper but you know if we look at how we you know we have a faith maybe we're eating and drinking around the table as I said is a bit lost it's not what we do very often and it's not just in the church it's in the whole of society and there is a correlation between how much a family eats together per week and how the children um, fair in loads of different areas, for example, academic performance, obedience, risk-taking behavior. And neurobiology has shown us that the happiest that human beings ever are is around a table with family and friends. We love our food, don't we? And we love company. And apparently the only way to improve that is to be able to do it outside, which obviously doesn't happen that much in Northern Ireland, but we take what we can. Maybe those barbecues twice a year, that's our happiest days, isn't it? So in society, we know loads of things have changed. Um, we talk about families breaking down. Sadly, divorce is very normal. There's a redefinition of family and sexuality and gender. We're all so busy in our lives. You know, not many of us stand and prepare dinner. Like, being honest, some of us don't even really know how to cook. You know, we eat out far more. We have takeaways. We've got the drive-through. And, like, us, probably this sounds very grannyish or something, but I am 44 today, all the fours 44. <laughs> Woohoo. But thanks. But like 
I remember, like, when I was a kid, you went out for dinner when it was someone's birthday, like it was a treat, you know, and you got your fish and chips on your holidays in Donegal, but now we just do it all the time, and that's kind of nice, but if we lost something in that as well, um, sadly, there's a rise in obesity in our society because of the way we eat. The average meal time 60 years ago was an hour and a half. Does anyone want to guess what it is now? Oh no, so <laughs> Well, I got 12 minutes somewhere else, so it's somewhere between 12 and 21 minutes. <laughs> you know, things change so much. On that one, it says the average British didn't, maybe that was the American. Okay, okay, right. Um, maybe that was American or 12 minutes. Maybe we've still made it to 21. So it's eight, the average dinner lasts for between 12 and 21 minutes. It's eaten in front of the TV. And it looks really different. Decades ago, it says we used to sit around the table. Maybe we had more than one course. We didn't sit with our technology or our phones or the TV on in the corner. But it says now just 2% of people prepare a three-course meal on a regular basis. More than half of families, 55%, now have a screen present when eating their meal. And the lounge takes precedent over the dining room for shared meals. And we're all guilty of that, aren't we? Um, just a wee meal on her lap in front of the TV, but are we really sitting around interacting and talking? Um, last week, stat, 2017 in Great Britain, 58% of families eat dinner together on a weekday and only 61% at the weekend. So it's loads to think about. And, you know, we believe um, that family is the building block of society. And I don't know, since I'm now 44, I can comment, like over the last three or four decades, like I remember when you were younger, it used to be more like, oh, open house, oh, just call over, or you know, the door's open, or I'll see you anytime, and maybe neighbors were more friendly or popping in and out, and you knew your neighbors more and all of that stuff. But I think now it's more tricky, isn't it, with their busy lives? Like you say to one of your friends, oh, let's meet up, and it's like you get your calendars out, and the next time you're both free is like, the third Saturday in June, and it's March. You know, it's so busy. We're, we're less spontaneous, we're less hospitable. And Paul shared this already, that Mother Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And we really believe that, uh, that our church and the church as a whole can bring something to, to the table with this problem of loneliness. But we also have to remember that when we come to the church, well, you know, we really say, come as we are, and we believe that Jesus meets us as we are. You know, whether we're an apprentice or a follower of Jesus yet or not, or whether we've known him for years, sometimes life is messy, but he meets us as we are. And come as we are also means we bring our stuff with us, doesn't it? We bring our loneliness. We bring our emotional baggage. We bring the pain of relational difficulties. We bring our addictions. And we come with all that stuff to receive healing from Jesus. Salvation comes from the Latin word salve, a wound. Salvation is healing, healing of the soul. And we want to practice partnering with Jesus for healing. And that can happen through eating and drinking together because at the heart of the eating and drinking and the meal, it's love, it's hospitality. There's a Greek word for family love called philo. And love is what hospitality is all about at, 
at, at its heart. Jesus commanded us to love God with all our heart, love our neighbor as ourselves. And before his death, he said, later on in this chapter we read, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he had a meal with them. He picked up a towel and he washed their feet. And you know, we might be like, oh yes, we all love each other. We're going to obey Jesus' command to love one another. And you know, when you think of that, you might think, oh, it's all lovely and sitting around a nice table. But sometimes in reality, it's actually a bit messy. It takes up our time. It disrupts, you know, what might be our comfortable life. And teaching Jesus love isn't just a feeling. It's something that we act upon, something that we choose, you know, and we want it to be at the heart of who we are, not just something we do, willing the good of another ahead of ourselves, you know, showing hospitality, loving a stranger, you know, here's a cup of coffee, here's a piece of cake, here's a, a listening ear, maybe even here's a place to stay. It's what we do at rest on a Friday morning, you know, here's a cup of coffee, here's a piece of cake, sit down and we'll talk, or when millions there a piece of fruit because we're trying to be healthy <laughs> you know let's just sit down together and talk and can I pray with you and what's going on in your life it's creating those spaces and you know as we're saying it's not always easy if we read on in that chapter in John 13 Jesus predicts his betrayal he says after he said this in verse 21 Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly I tell you one of you is going to betray me that was obviously Judas and then later on verse 37 he predicts Peter's denial and he says you're going to disown me three times before the cock crows you know, Jesus sat around the table with Judas knowing that Judas was going to betray him. He sat with Peter knowing that Peter was going to disown him. And sometimes when we sit around the table, it might not all be nicey-nicey. We might have hurt each other's feelings yesterday or a, a year ago. And we need to talk about those things, talk to one another, talk about difficult things like... I've sat round tables with friends and people in church and sometimes you've had to cry and really say hard things to each other and wrestle things and work through things. But that's family and that's what we do. So it's not always easy round the table. I love this quote from Rosaria Butterfield. God calls Christians to practice hospitality in order to build loving Christian communities, to build nightly table fellowship with fellow image bearers, to ease the pain of orphanhood, widowhood, and prison. The gospel call that renders strangers into neighbors into the family of God is all pretty straight up when you read the Bible, especially the book of Acts. And it requires both hosts and guests, not just one or the other, as giving and receiving are good and sacred and connect people and communities in important ways. It has to start in our church and with us together and then spread out as we invite other people in. That's what we're all about. I love that, strangers into neighbors, into the family of God. That's kind of what we've been trying to say, this whole friends and family series. Who's in your life? Who are you praying for? Who are you inviting in? Who, you know, people that we want to see in God's family. Um, and it's, we want to become loving and hospitable, as I said. It's, you know, love one another. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I really hate my boss, but in Jesus' name, I will love him. You know, 
we want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit where it just comes out of us. It's who we are. It's not something we have to just grit our teeth and do. And there's lonely people all around us. Some, some of us in here feel that. Some of us feel lonely ourselves. You know, we're the first probably adult generation affected by widespread divorce. Families are fragmented. You know, there's people who are widows and widowers. Um, I was at Encounter More at the weekend at Cosby Coast Vineyard, and I got chatting to this lady who we knew when we were part of the church, and she lost her husband a couple of years ago, and she was just telling me how hard it is to walk into church on your own. You know, when for 40 years they were, or whatever, they were married for a long time, you've always had someone beside you. You know, in our community, there's people struggling for food. There's people who find life difficult. And Jesus calls us to love and live as family and welcome people to our table. Like, I remember a few years ago when we had our church weekend, I think it was the one in Greenmount near Newcastle. I had this lady, she doesn't come anymore, but she came up to me and she was really upset. And she said, I just find this really difficult and I just look around this church and I just see these families with 2.4 children and there's the husband and the wife and all of that and like uh, you know it's obviously really kind to her but I just said I don't really think you've been hanging around our church long enough like about half the people were there on their own for one reason or another you know it wasn't all nice happy families you know in our culture things are broken and we welcome all everyone into our church no matter what's gone on in your life and some of us are on our own for different reasons some of us are those lonely people and feel broken and we just want to welcome people in and be family to each other you know I've chatted to some people at Christmas time and I think in Northern Ireland we still do have a family close-knit culture don't we and there's some people who've moved here maybe from overseas and they're not from here and at Christmas everyone you know migrates to their family even if it's not that fun going to great auntie Ethel's or whatever but we all you know do those things and then sometimes people you know, they might still have their nuclear family, but it's kind of weird. You want a bigger family. So, you know, we need to think about all the different people in our community and what their needs are. And, you know, some of us are sitting thinking, oh, right, that's okay, but I'm not really good at making dinner or, oh, I'm rubbish at hospitality. Well, it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, just invite people around and put out crisps and dips or have bacon baps or bread and cheese or a bowl of soup or just have drinks. <laughs> just have people around and or get everyone to bring something you know the person hosting doesn't always have to be the person making a three-course meal and uh, you know I just really want to encourage you this week don't just listen to my talk and think oh yeah I agree Shant's tick the box very good I'm going to give you homework this week and I've put it up here exercise one I never was a teacher but Paul's obviously rubbed off on me you know, all I'm asking you for this week is to eat a meal with someone else who loves Jesus or in church or doesn't have to be this church. If you're already in and around the table life, but great happy days for you. You got that box ticked. Check. But, you know, 
have lunch with someone, make dinner for someone, have a barbecue, who cares if it's raining, go out for brunch on a Saturday. It could be one-to-one -one with someone or it could be a family with a family. And just sit together, eat, be open to the Holy Spirit, pay attention to what God's saying to your heart. And don't just eat together. You know, Hebrews says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. And also, I just want to say as well, don't just hang out with your friends or someone who's really like you like look for other people encourage families you know look out for single people to invite single people look out for families um, and I, it was funny because I'd already planned to talk about this and then when we went to encounter more and um, Mike Pilavachi was speaking on the Thursday night and he is our old pastor from our church in Watford and he spoke about this very thing church's family and he's um, 60 something now, 61, and he's still single. And he said he used to always feel like he would go, you know, go to his friend's house and he'd be like, oh no, you know, knock on the door, well, they don't really want me, but I'm gonna come anyway. And he'd go in and then they'd say, oh Mike, do you wanna stay for tea? And he'd be thinking in his head, well, they're just inviting me out of pity, but I'll stay anyway. And But now he's realized that you know, he's part of their family. He loves playing with their kids. You know, and now he said, he goes in and he's like, here I am, a blessing to your family. I'm going to give your kids loads of sweets and sugar and hype them all up and then leave again. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes in families we're scared to invite someone because we think, oh, our house is messy, they're not going to cope with our three kids and our dog. But maybe that person, yeah, we're saying that about the dog. But, like, you know, some people will love the mess of that and the hype of that. And, you know, the other way around, you know, some people think, oh, families are too busy, but we all need each other. So just think about that and look out for other people. It doesn't have to be the same. You know, as I said, look out for people people from other places who maybe don't have close family. Look out for those who are grieving, those who need company, those who just need someone to talk to. And remember, when you're a follower of Jesus, you have a role to play when you come into your home as both the host and the guest. It's not just the host. The guest gives and receives. The host gives and receives. You know, it's not just the person hosting gives everything to that person. So many times when people come round to your house, we're blown away by everything they share with us, more than anything they've ever given. So exercise too, just think about this whole thing. Reimagine your table as a place of family. You know, get out your notepad or your journal and think about, well, what does this mean for me and my family or me and my own if I am on my own? What does this look like for our church? You know, um, you know, we really do want to think about this more as a church and it's not just up to the leaders to think, well, what will we do? How will this look? You know, chat to us, think of your ideas, tell us what you think. And then the third thing is just how do we do that? How do we reimagine our home? And, you know, loads of you do this already and preach into the choir. You love having people around. It's just what you do. But for some of us, it is a bit new, you know, especially if it wasn't that way when you grew up. If your family didn't really have people around, do you? you're like, what? You're meant to do that? And there's two phrases um, that we might know in Spanish. Mi casa es su casa. Who wants to translate? There you go. Thanks, Sergi. My house is your house. And sorry, English people, but one of your sayings is a man's home is his castle. 
So which one is more Jesus-like? <laughs> you know, we want to open up our homes. We do want to think of it as our castle where we pull up the drawbridge and close the door. And some of us might have to work at that a little harder because it's just not what we're used to, and that's totally fine. So here's just 10 little things to help you, and I'll put this up on Facebook later because you probably can't read that. Number one, it's comfortable. Number two, it's lived in. Number three, it's a place where people are flourishing. Number four, it doesn't. it's not beautiful decorated but it's cared for five it's a place of safety and sanctuary where people can retreat from the anxiety of the world six it's not frenetic or stressful you walk in you feel a slower pace and a sense of peace some of us might need to work on that part um seven it's a place where life is celebrated where celebration has become a habit and elaine chatted to us about that before christmas eight it's a place where the pain disappointment and sadness of life is also welcome don't just shut that down nine it's a place where the details point to simple beauty you know nice food flowers music a wee painting a wee plant you know it's expressing an appreciation for life that has more to do with taking time than having money and finally it's marked with traditions which guests are invited into but not forced into that could be praying before your dinner reading the bible having quiet time in the morning as people spend time in their home do they feel that they experience the way of jesus do they feel themselves slowing down and meeting with him so they're just some wee ideas um, just want to ask you to think this week, who are you going to invite around the table? You know, we're swimming against the tide here. Like, it's hard, isn't it, when, when our lives are busy? Um, and I just want to kind of finish with this quote uh, from Jean Vanier, who actually died this month. He was the founder of large communities around the world for people with Delav developmental disabilities. In years to come, we're going to need many small communities which will welcome lost and lonely people, offering them a new form of family and a sense of belonging. In the past, Christians who wanted to follow Jesus opened hospitals and schools. Now there are so many of these. Christians must commit themselves to the new communities of welcome, to live with people who have no other family, and to show them that they are loved and can grow to greater freedom, and that they in turn can love and give life to others. So think about around the table. Don't give up. Don't grow weary of meeting together. Community is good, but it's often hard. Community is a pathway to transformation. You know, in our little life group, it's been really lovely because we don't know each other super well, but as we eat around the table, we're just sharing our lives and sharing our stories. And actually, um, someone in our group was telling us how he was watching loads of John Wimber early teaching on the Holy Spirit and all of that. And it ended up opening up this whole conversation and our different experiences of church and the Holy Spirit. And then we were able to talk about that more and pray for each other. So just someone sharing something that they're doing opened up this really wide conversation. Just encourage you guys, keep showing up. This is a great space and Sunday is so important to us, but it's not enough on its own. If you aren't part of a group, I encourage you to be part of one. You know, and in the summer, our life groups kind of formally end and um, we have a little break, but you know, you're all grown ups. We don't have to organize things, invite each other around, be around each other's tables, you know, make sure we're creating community ourselves. 
and you know let's be church as family let's get together so your homework for this week is basically who will you invite